Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, Johnstown Castle Farm Manager Aidan Lawless joins us to review the performance and genetics of the cows in their winter milk herd and the recent focus on homegrown protein sources in their concentrate feed. And I first asked Aidan to outline the principles of the production system. The herd has been here in existence for a long time now and it's developed over the last number of years. So um, we we have a high EBI herd, the overall herd EBI at the moment is 190. So um, I suppose previously we would have been looking at very much developing a sort of a blueprint for in terms of grassland management for the, the autumn herds. and. Um, I suppose just determining whether that sort of EBI system fitted in with within for for winter milking herds and calving in the autumn, and how they perform on that. Um, more recently, then for the last two or three years, we've been focusing uh, a good bit on just the, the winter diets and um, just looking at can we uh, the, the trial at the moment is looking at um, homegrown soya uh, or not soya but homegrown protein. Uh, to replace the uh, imported soya and just more in terms of looking at it from a point of view of CO2 emissions and just reducing the dependence on on imported feeds. So at, uh, at the moment for the last couple of years, all our, our uh, protein within the, the, the concentrates would have been either homegrown or EU sourced um, non-GM uh, rations and then just sort of comparing them how they performed with the, the conventional, what our conventional we would have been saying was the the imported soya as the main protein source. A lot of talk around winter milk um, in, is is leaning towards production. Um, you know, and you mentioned the EBI and the, the fit between EBI and the system. So I suppose if we firstly look at production, um, how has production gone in the 2021-2022 lactation? Um, and how has that compared to previous years on the farm? Today is where we're, we're pretty much the same as as the last uh, for the last for the last two or three years we've sort of been increasing i suppose the the milk solids are, were probably increased maybe up to 10 kilos a, a year over the last number of years i suppose so so our full lactation the 2020 2021 season we would have um produced around 630 635 kilos milk solids for the the autumn cabin cows so the 100 autumn herd off about seven and a half thousand kilos uh, of of milk, so and then you're talking about delivering somewhere between around 610 kilos of, of solids per cow, um, and uh, there, that was across a, a couple of different stocking rates, but the per per cow performance was, was quite similar. Um, so they're 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 high. We've been even over the last number of years that the herd in terms of the EBI, that's coming from the the herd average for the the milk kgs is about 135, I think, at the moment. Um, and the bull team that we're using uh, is only given about 140, so we're probably trying to hold the milk around that. But um, our milk solids, we're nearly doubling the milk solids, so the, the, the cow herd are, are sort of giving us about 22 kilos milk solids, and the bull herd are up about 36, 37 desires that we're using the predicted uh, performance for the, the, the herd, the, the, the bulls coming in. That 10 kilograms of, of extra milk solids per year, you're growing the, the milk solids output. Would you say that's all down to genetics or are there other factors at play there? 
probably a lot of it down to, to genetics, to be fair. Um, I, I think for the last number of years, we've had fairly good handle on terms of the, the grassland management and then our diets actually just the winter gone out um, uh, our silage was poorer than the normal and we did we our performance we seemed to match the performance but probably at a cost of an extra 100 150 kilos of concentrate over the winter period um we we just got caught uh, last uh, spring there that uh, we didn't cut our main crop silage for the winter herd until i think it was about the first of june which would be two weeks later than what we'd be really targeting our target date for for winter the winter herd is cutting our first cut silage around the 15th of of may and even that all that silage would have been grazed it generally would be all grazed before that so it'd be only grown for about six seven weeks and i think that's really key any any winter milk guys are, are well from, well aware of it but sort of uh, get your base right first and your base is a, a good sort of grass forage um and then it's a lot easier to to match your diet after that to get the performance so um our yeah our performance uh we've matched it this year um but uh off of probably feeding a little bit extra concentrate but the in terms of the, the growing the milk solids we probably didn't grow it we probably might not grow it this year if we match our performance again this year we're on about um 510 kilos of milk solids produced so far that's off about 220 day lactation so another 80 days at a kilo and a half probably is giving us about 100, another 120 kilos uh, of milk solids. They're, they're still doing over 2.2 kilos solids like, but so we should do comfortably for the next couple of months, we should still do sort of a kilo and a half to 1.75 kilos of solids. So we should we should get near the 630, 640 kilos of milk solids anyway, I'd say. But that's coming off a, a, a concentrate feeding level of probably 1.6 tons this year, which, yeah, our target would be maybe 1.4 of a, of a normal winter. And that figure, the 630, 640 kilos of milk solids, it's it's a phenomenal number, you know, if, if you look at it in its entirety. Now, I mean, you, you do mention the side note, there is, um, you know, a high level of feeding going in, given the the profile of the lactation and the months of the year you're milking those cows. Um, but what sort of lactation length are you achieving with those animals? We're getting very near to yeah, so probably about three hundred day lactation. Now we do we do aim because we're a hundred percent autumn herd. Uh, now we have spring herd uh, calving here as well, but they're a hundred percent autumn herd at the moment. That's on trial, so we do aim to be dry for at least three weeks in um, sort of the end of August, uh, early September. So, like I say, to any groups coming in, if you're spring calving, you take your holidays in the winter. If you're autumn calving, you take your holidays in the summer. And if you're split calving, you mightn't get holidays at all. So. Um, yeah, so we, we, we aim to be dry on that herd for at least three weeks, but we can push our lactation. We normally, we try to give them sort of 50, 60 day dry period, but um, with the compact cabin, we're still getting about 300 day lactation, um, actual uh, lactation on it. And like I said, that's given us those, that those cows are very similar. Like we have spring cows here on, on other treatments and we're using the same sires, the same type of sires, our same criteria, sort of high, high milk solids um, on reasonable volume of milk um, and high fertility cows. So it's the same bulls we're using and the spring herd are probably only given somewhere around the 540 kilos of, of solids, 540, 550. So there's 70 or 80 kilos extra milk solids on that winter milk herd. But there, I suppose that a lot of that is coming through, through that sort of extra feeding that, that, that's going in. And we do tend to, to get a flatter um, uh, 
milk peak sort of our lactation curve, a flat order lactation curve, I suppose, on the autumn herd. So we get that sort of kick from the, the grass when we can get them out early enough in the spring then once we have grass there. So they're on a good diet indoors in the winter. We don't see any real boost from grass in the spring, but it's just keep them up and then keep good quality grass into them for all right up until that sort of June, July period when they're coming towards dry off there in July. So if we take a look at, at, you know, fertility performance, you know, what are the KPIs that you would chase? Um, you know, they're non-negotiables for your winter milk system. We start off with our we, we, our breeding season. Um, we have two 10-week breeding seasons here. Like, the, the you now there are independent herds, but because from a practicality point of view, we, we aim to breed just for the 10 weeks in the, in the autumn and the spring. Uh, that doesn't come overnight either, and we would probably have sort of back the years when our fertility fertility performance mightn't be as good. We'd probably were we're sort of breeding maybe for twelve weeks, like, but you you sort of shave it back a little bit uh, each year. So, um, and so we start breeding the fifteenth of December. We're finishing up the about the twenty third, twenty fourth February. Um, obviously we're targeting sort of very similar to spring herds right? and we're targeting over 90 percent submission rates sort of in, in the first three weeks and we do uh generally short cycle the heifers so we'll breed them just for the first six seven days and then um um a shot of prostate land and then to, to to get them all served within the first 10 days and then the repeats are are coming in within the first uh the first 30. um I, the, the 15th of December is probably governed a little bit by we try to avoid have uh, to try to have all the heifers served and, and before Christmas that Christmas week so um, especially here it's a sort of a week where uh, obviously we're still busy milking and, and breeding the main herd but just have the, the big volume of the, the heifers that were they're not coming in during that week if that wasn't the case we probably could afford to push out the, the, the start to start to breeding to another week maybe the 25th of September I know there's a number of farmers, a lot of farmers. We're probably unusual in the sense that we're 100% autumn cabin and we have a, a, a lot of our milk is contracted for the, the, the winter. The herds that are maybe have a lesser, lower uh, uh, winter milk contracts or at, and some of them are calving later, maybe calving to the shed in, in mid-October for, for a short breeding period as well. And if it, that might definitely be work, sort of viable for them as well. Like that, they're, I suppose they're trying to avoid uh, given free milk really or, or non-contracted milk during the winter period which is 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 a isn't a bad approach um there's a cost to that if your fertility isn't good obviously um for the last number of years we've been had very excellent fertility really like we're we would be targeting sort of temp, less than 10 percent empty and up until this year we for the last three to four years on the autumn herd we've been we've been achieving that this year we're looking at 14 15 percent empty um we're not really sure, to be honest, why at, at this stage, just, uh, we didn't we didn't hit that 90% submission rate either, which is uh, interesting. And uh, maybe the fact that like our silage wasn't as good, maybe that could be a contributing factor as well, even though the performance, milk performance seemed to match, maybe just the activity seemed to be, or maybe it's just one of those years, like we wouldn't be overly concerned about it um, just as a, as a one-off. Um, the cows, we know, it's well achievable and we have a, a a good number of heifers replacements coming in if we want to, but we do try to keep that um, uh, sort of, you know, we're, we're targeting sort of four and a half lactation per unit per cow. So we, we don't want to be bringing in too many heifers. We have surplus heifers actually to bring in if we do need to, but ideally we'll be targeting 20% sort of replacement rate and, uh, and we should be able to stick to that still. At the outset, you talked about 
a focus for the last two to three years is is looking at those winter diets, but also looking at um, supplementation. I suppose that the first thing um, that that is probably a priority for every winter milk producer is that that base forage um, that it's of a good quality. Um, you mentioned last year you were late getting to first cut. How did that fare out this year? Yeah, well, so well, so this year we again we were late, but not as late. So uh, we probably just missed the window. The, I, I, there's a number of farmers around our area cut there, sort of in the the weekend of the the 13th, 14th uh, May, the 12th, 14th May. Um, we got uh, we're lucky enough. The weather sort of we got a window, so we we did it there only a couple of days ago. We we, we harvest 1920th. Um, still in good conditions enough, and our target, like I said, was around the 15th May. So we probably lost three or four days. It needed to be cut at the time. It bulked an awful lot in the that sort of, I suppose, 10, 15 day period from, say, about the, the 5th of May to the, the 15th of May. I just, I couldn't get over, like, it was slow enough all along. We've had a good spring. There's no point in saying we haven't, but the growth rates were probably slow enough for a lot of April there. Um, and then it just, uh, when we got that rain and sort of heat, it just, the whole place exploded in same same as most farms um, in early May. So we look, we're happy enough. I'd say the quality should be a lot better this year. Like I said, it was all grays. It's uh, it was good leafy grass. Uh, the dry matter ideally would have had a little drier going in. We, it got a couple of showers before it dried off. Then when we picked it up, but um, so we're, we'd be happy enough that I we're not um, our general. Obviously, we're targeting silage greater than seventy five DMD, um, and a lot of time with our main crop silage, we 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 fall a little short of it. That's sort of seventy three to seventy five DMD. And I expected probably something similar uh, this year. Last year, our first cut tested uh, only about 70. Uh, we ended up, we had second cut that was a lot better. It was about a 72 DMD and dry. So we fed that to a lot of the, the milk and herd, but we did have to feed some of the, the first cut as well, to, just to mix it up to, to make sure we had enough of it. So yeah, just, uh, I don't need to, any winter milk guys that are on here will know well enough that sort of crucial to, to make good quality silage. Um, uh, and then, like we say, we can um, adjust to other um, forages after that. For for last year, last winter, probably partly because of the poor quality silage, we 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 fed a sort of a 50-50 mix of uh, grass silage, maize silage. So sort of the um, it was sort of generally coming in sort of a third uh, concentrate, a third forage uh, forage maize, and a third of the grass silage was probably uh, what we were sort of coming up with um, intakes somewhere around 22 kilos of dry matter intake um, so we were getting good intakes and like I said we just had to feed a little bit extra concentrate than we might have normally and it's an interesting one you know that you you, you know the, the level of testing that you're doing Aidan you can quantify um, I suppose the effect of early or late cutting and you know that 75 DMD that you're targeting you know as you say you really need that mid-May cut and anything after that you're compromising your quality um, you know even at that 70 DMD on the 1st of June that you achieved last year is really really excellent and probably above um, above normal um, June cut but also to put the crude figure of um you know, the additional concentrate that had to go into the diet of those animals um, during the winter time because you had 
compromised quality relative to what what you generally set out and you know 200 kilos there's there's obviously a financial cost to that um and 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 i actually think grass quality is something that you know spring uh production systems are becoming more conscious of because you know we've high calving rates we want a high closing cover to have a high opening cover uh, and sometimes then overwinter growth can be disappointing so there you know in early and late lactation there's often um you know a level of silage going in um and that needs to be of good quality particularly in the springtime Oh, de- yeah, definitely. Like, and, and like, there's no point in saying that, like, seventy DMD silage isn't good enough for for winter milking cows, really. Like, uh, I, and it's interesting just looking at we we <clears throat> we get regular sort of analysis back just on the silages, but just you know, I mean, even some of the the companies like the you know the uh, kgs of concentrate required to deliver your twenty eight uh, liters of milk. Now we're generally targeting about thirty kilos sort of uh, across the, the the winter, but like. You can see straight away, like if your if your if your silage tests sort of below that sort of you know 72, 70 DMD, you're you're talking about a lot more concentrate going into, and then it gets trickier in terms of, like for the last number of years, we've had virtually no terms of sort of um, acidosis or di- dietary ketosis or any sort of digestive upsets, right? And if you have a good base forage, you don't need to load the cow as much with concentrate, and she sort of. Um, better able to sort of you know to better able to perform and handle that um so yeah they yeah good quality silage and like i say a lot of our spring milk producers now are at least i know joe would have been saying before you know at least have i think a bale and a half sort of two bales of excellent quality silage for your as your buffer but like even on top of that you're still going to be feeding silage to it's just important to have it there if you do need it it's a lot easier to loot the quality of the silage than improve it anyway so. yeah and, and look as, as things are progressing and concentrate prices are higher it um you know sometimes it, it is um a lot more um i suppose financially uh sustainable to have that that silage buffer the, the second point you made aiden was in relation to that homegrown protein um and that you know i have heard it on uh, other farmers doing the same thing um I, I suppose you're replacing imported soya with alternative feeds what are those protein sources it's really interesting to be honest uh, like so and uh, we we're i suppose the idea of doing it on the winter milk herd is you're you're really pushing it to the max. So like I mean, if we're we fed a fifty percent maize in the diet, so our protein and that was going to be low anyway. So our our requirements say uh, last winter with the, the grass silage in the maize, we had sort of we needed a, a concentrate uh, for the winter of sort of twenty two twenty three percent protein nut, which a lot of spring guys right and wouldn't need to. So if it was going if it's going to be tested, it would be tested on that. So. Um, uh, Soya, um, so the soya is the conventional system, whereas the, the homegrown we were talking about beans was making up uh, a, a huge portion of that. So there was about thirty six percent beans in the in the homegrown nut, and then about another thirty percent uh, rapeseed meal, which sort of probably generally come in the EU more so than than Ireland. The beans were uh, Irish sourced, um, and then a, a fiber sort of uh, some some beet pulp sort of as a, as your fiber source and there was barley uh, in it as well all all homegrown um products so the and cows um for the last uh, for two years prior to this year we, we ran a, a, a tighter component study this year mike Deneen from moore park was involved with that it was moved on 
So um, we, we, for the pr two years previous to that, we were sort of we we weren't sure whether it was the the concentrate was given it because our diets were somewhat different. We were sort of looking at fully self-sustainable sort of just grass silage and and your homegrown nut versus a, a grass silage maize and sort of a higher input system. So this year, basically, all we looked at was the only difference in the two herds of cows was that that homegrown nut. Um, so it was fed through through a TMR. There was a small base nut going into parlor. We didn't have the option of a two feed system. Hopefully, we will next year. But so the parlor there was, there was about a, a a kilo a kilo and a half going in in the parlor of the same nut, and then anything on top of that was all uh, fed through the TMR for the winter milking cows and. At the end of the year, we still came up a little short. We we were, I think, about fifteen kilos uh, milk solids less on the on the homegrown versus the, the conventional. So, just on very raw data and conclusions, we'd say sort of at the moment that sort of it's very hard to get a, a protein source that can match the soya uh, consistently. That's great. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much, Emma Louise. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Aidan Lawless for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.